Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. I'm Bryce Yonker with Grid Forward. Today we have with us three CEOs and founders of exciting energy companies, and we're looking forward to dive in with all of them. Caitlin Albertoli is with Buzz Solutions. Bill Burke is with Virtual Peaker. And Josh Wong started Opus One and is now over at GE. Thank you all for being on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Caitlin, let's start with you. Uh, can you do a brief introduction of yourself and what Buzz Solutions is? Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm Caitlin Albertoli, co-founder and CEO at Buzz Solutions. At Buzz, we're an AI-powered platform analyzing visual data for power line inspections. Awesome. Thanks, Caitlin. Over to you, Bill. What's Virtual Peaker? I'm Bill Berg. I'm the founder and CEO of Virtual Peaker. We have a self-service SaaS solution that helps utilities manage uh, programs with uh, distributed energy resources from customer engagement to load forecasting to, of course, derms, controlling devices and monitoring those devices. I am the CEO, so I lead the company. In addition to that, I lead product and product strategy. I like to stay really close to our customers and uh, build things that they want to buy and they want to use. Thanks, Bill. And Josh, I know Opus One's a a little bit of a former uh, role, so tell us a little bit about the position there at GE and and not the whole history, but but, uh, what happened with with Opus One there. It might take a while. So uh, Josh Wong, (laughs) uh, founder and former CEO of Opus One Solutions. Uh, We are a derms company focused on helping utilities manage the grid upon a high penetration of DER. So, of course, DERs can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. We like to focus on the infrastructure side. So how can we alleviate any concerns around the grid accommodating a high penetration of renewables to at zero? Uh, happy to share that, of course, in uh, in around New Year's 2022, Opus One was acquired by GE Digital. So we are now a part of GE Digital under their grid software division. And uh, since then, I've also uh, looked at the next big wave. So uh, successfully transitioned uh, my, my CEO role to my former COO, Kimberly Helm, who is now leading the Opus One uh, uh, engine, while uh, I'm actually looking at uh, the grid of the future. So really a bit of a broader, big picture thinking of where innovation will take the grid over the next 10 to 40 years. Well, it's really exciting to have each of you. We don't need to put you in a box, but the idea was to have a conversation with companies at different stages as we talk about what it takes to bring an innovative solution onto the energy system. Uh, and we really appreciate each, each of your perspectives. I'm going to kick this one over to you first, Bill, and then we'll go around the horn. Um, what are some key barriers for grid modernization solutions coming onto the energy system? Hmm. That's a good question. So um, I think that the software is obviously key, uh, at least from my perspective, on how utilities uh, bring on innovation. And I think one of the big uh, changes in software over the last 15 years has been the introduction of software as a service, something hosted by the, the, the partner and you know lives in the cloud and then the utility just uses it. You know, tremendous benefits to SaaS uh, with things like continuous delivery of software, uh, scalability of services, things like that. But it's not something that utilities are particularly used to. Um, They are used to on-prem solutions that are behind their firewalls and locked down and nobody can get to them except them. 
And um, that this is a challenge for them to, I think, adopt a lot of the, the new software. Um, they have to get used to things like how do you deal with the cybersecurity aspects of uh, of SaaS. This is a, a big deal. It's not locked behind the firewall anymore. It's you know in a third party cloud. Um, they have to get used to how to pay for it. So again, on prem solutions are are great because they oftentimes can capitalize those solutions. They can't. The capitalizing SaaS is a little bit different. Um, so I, I think that that um, is sort of a fundamental. Uh, issue with how they adopt new software that's going to really help do interesting things with their grid. That's a good. That's a good start, Caitlin. Josh, other barriers you want to kind of lay out to start here? Sure, I have a, a point to add on to that. It's it's interesting because uh, talking about software and, and SaaS and how that's really been a big transformation for uh, for a lot of these utilities to work with. We've seen that. The collection of data has been a really big addition to uh, many utilities' uh, inspection work, uh, their way of monitoring their grid, and also as they're looking at maintenance plans and how do they upgrade the grid. big part of it's coming down to they're starting to collect so much more data and get almost real-time insights now into what's happening on their infrastructure in various uh, various parts of their, their grid that they didn't have. As, as great a visibility into before. And we see it's pretty interesting because this wave of the digital transformation has come quite quickly for utilities. And we've seen that whether it's transitioning to cloud to figuring out how to work with data security and privacy concerns, things like that, those are some of the key issues that utilities are grappling with. But also as they're collecting so much of this data, figuring out how to turn that into actionable insights and uh, prioritize information has been really key uh, for these utilities, figuring out how they can go from uh, an organization which historically has been more siloed to how can they bring these different data sets together to turn them into critical actions. And so we see that utilities are, many utilities are grappling with that today and figuring out innovative solutions for dealing with that and managing that data and turning it into key information has been a, a pretty big part of the conversation. Yeah, I think I, I agree and certainly concur with all of them. Um, uh, the, the one around SaaS is interesting, right? It's one big part of the business model, but it's rewarding utility. It's understanding the utility remuneration model such that it rewards continued innovation and improvement rather than just a one-time fixed cost. Um, but overall, in general, the, util the regulatory and utility business model barrier must align that of the utility and its participants, right? Whether those are like DERs or market participants, whatnot, because increasingly the grid is not, or the utilities role in the grid is not just that of building, constructing and maintaining assets. It's also one that supports and enables the wider ecosystem. And in order for, for us to do that, utilities must be remunerated based on their, I think, prudence in investing and maintaining infrastructure, but also their ability to enable and support the wider ecosystem. Um, agree with Caitlin as well, the data. So intelligence is the key to unlock the future. And uh, data is always, we, we think software is always gonna be cheaper than coppers and wires and oil, but the data quality and the data availability is not in a way to really enable the next wave of grid intelligence. So we need to break that barrier, right? Uh, to not just collect data, but really making sure that uh, it, it's clean, it's usable, it's actionable, as Caitlin mentioned. Uh, the Probably the, the last one I would like to add is 
uh, is the pace of innovation. Um, it's related to the SaaS model, but I think we all hear the, the notion of utilities piloting to death or pilot purgatory. Um, that's still today, I think, a, a big barrier towards uh, innovation. Um, a lot of innovation departments agendas are still sometimes tinkering or uh, sometimes can be named as skunk works or, or, or science projects. At the same time, we need these innovation to scale to mainstream as quickly as possible. And I think startups have a role to play, large companies have a role to play, academia, national have a role to play. But the ultimate customers are the grid or whoever's running operating grid or unless to DERs. So that's um, a whole innovation cycle must be sped up and we need to address that head on. Yeah, let's tackle that topic. That was something I wanted to cover. Um, I think the the idea of death by pilot is still very real in the utility landscape. So how can we break free of that? How can innovations find pathways to scale um, and and bring the real commercial impact that we need? I'll send it over to you, maybe first, Caitlin, and then I know we'll all we'll all jump into this. Sure, it's a it's an active conversation that that we're having uh, quite frequently, especially especially here at Buzz. We're an earlier stage startup company, and what we found is that there's so many innovations that are tackling different parts of the utility process, different parts of the utility workflow, but where we've seen the most success in overcoming that, you know, death by pilot or continual piloting phase is finding a way to embed ourselves fully into the workflow of a utility. We see that labor is a big constraint for, for many utilities, evaluating new technologies and then bringing them into the fold. And much of the time utilities are uh, operating from, almost from a point of behind. It's all about uh, taking action once they've received information as opposed to being uh, proactive and preemptive in decision-making. And so our ability to plug into that existing workflow to enhance the offering that we're delivering to, to that utility customer and to really bridge the gap between two types of data sets they may have has been uh, our key to success in overcoming that process. Uh, we do see that many uh, with many utilities, with uh, especially when it comes to collecting data and turning that data into action, um, if we're able to plug into existing infrastructure they have in place and uh, work and train their existing linemen, field technicians, team members on a platform that already is a part of their day-to-day process, then that can typically have a much faster time for uptick. Thoughts on this, Bill? Yeah, I think that the death by pilot is really a critical issue with investor-owned utilities primarily. And, you know, they, they pilot innovative solutions. They have innovation teams. Uh, you know, they, they sunset pilots after running them for a little bit, which is painful for a startup's revenue, obviously. Um, but I think the worst part about the, the, this pilot process that they do is they create this uh, choppy customer experience because they've got all these vendors in there all trying to touch the customers, doing potentially different things. And um, it's not good. It's really, and it's really hard to get out of that. I mean, I, I echo uh, what Caitlin said about embedding in existing workflows. That's really important. But one of the things that we've done is really focus on the entirety of the market, not just the investor on utilities. Co-ops and munis don't, don't do the, don't do pilot hell forever. They typically, in fact, don't even run pilots. They'll run actual programs. They'll know what they want to do and then they'll go do it. Um, obviously, the prize is a lot smaller with a, a mid-sized utility versus a, a gargantuan investor-owned utility, but um, the longevity on them is fantastic. And um, it, that has helped us 
bridge the gap between the pilot phase that IOUs while you know still building our credibility in the market with long 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 lasting programs. I, I don't know the silver bullet though. I mean, I, I don't know if there is one. I'm I'm pretty sure it's not innovation teams that <laughs> IOUs though. I'm pretty sure. What, what is it, Josh? What do you think? I mean, you brought it up as an issue. What do you think can kind of alleviate the the concern some? I think uh, innovation teams has their role, but I think it is it is uh, our experience as well that's um, they, they they can be more science experiments. Um, with a very certain fixed time frame. So I think uh, the, the ask and the call is for the innovation team to also dig deep into their business processes and functions to make sure that there's a scale up available. And I, I have seen some improvements over the years, but uh, this is a continual work in progress. Um, I think to, to Caitlin's point, embedding workflows is a great one, but ultimately like product management 101, right? We, we're assessing product market fit offering a value proposition that customers will pay uh, and that's how longevity in, in terms of its impact so what that means to me over the years is uh, one is let, let's let's we, we would need technical modes and differentiation but also dial back some of the complexity so it becomes immediately use, usable to provide a certain value prop uh, another lesson that i've learned is uh, there's a lot of horizontal functions but especially with utilities a vertical solution will likely work better because of its longevity of time frame. Um, now, of course, we're part of GE, so I think one of the the decisions and objectives of joining a much larger company that generates one-third of the world's electrons is because um, uh, we see there is a role for products to drive and make a disruptive leap in the pace of innovation, but there is also a time and a place for incumbents to really step up and take their place, especially given the time frame that we have around the energy transition. And so um, uh, really for for startups and incumbents to work together and access those data and the commission critical processes that is dominated by, let's say, today's planning and operational solutions such as the ADMS, I think that's critical. So uh, incumbents need to open up and startups need to really uh, be able to partner in a much bigger ecosystem where mission criticality is key. So this is a big question. You touched on some of it, uh, Josh. So I'll let you all take whatever pieces of it you, you'd like. But I would say the cycle to bring solutions to utilities, especially if it changes their their business model, if it requires regulatory approval, if there are operational changes, if it touches customers, if there's financing, if it changes the culture, and there's a longer list. But if any of those things need to adjust, it can be a bit long and painful. Um, how can companies survive this? And, and, and are any things going to materially change that, that abbreviate this or make this less lengthy or painful? I guess I could start out on that one. To, to Josh's point, I think what's what's really interesting is the utility adoption cycle. There's so many different pieces that that kind of come into a faster or slower adoption time. And what we've seen is that a company that can specifically solve one pain point for a utility, and it can be as, as focused as possible, at least to get in the door, that typically is the fastest way to have the product or the solution adopted and then growing and expanding on it from there at least getting that quick in where it can have a very fast ROI for the utility to prove out the value, to demonstrate that there's a real product market fit. And then also that there's a 
you know, to get that utility buy-in, I think is is critical for success to, to your point of success of the company's longevity in in the utility when a, a company, especially a, a newer, more technologically advanced innovation comes into the fold, uh, trying to tackle too many things we see can ultimately be the death of that, either that pilot or of the long-term success of that project. Yeah, I, I definitely want to echo that. Um, that's a, a great point. We, back in 2015, when, when I founded Virtual Peaker, our tagline was making demand as controllable as a gas turbine generator. It's a pretty big mission, but um, no utilities were buying demand as controllable as a gas turbine generator. So we, you know, we had to implement demand response. That's what they were buying. And uh, by and large, that's what they're still buying in, in many respects. So being able to, you know, have that big vision, but then actually deliver something that adds value to the to the utility is super critical. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, I was talking to Ron Hoffman, one of my old advisors from Berkeley, and he said, if, if it will make uh, utilities money or save utilities money, they will adopt it. And it's really that simple, right? You have to find something that makes utilities money or, or save utilities money. And um, if you can do that, then the adoption cycle's a little bit easier. Yeah, I, I think each each founder, CEO, each company has to choose their own strategy of how they want to navigate or, or address the space. Um, I think uh, it's a reality of the nature of the industry that's um, it's a mission critical infrastructure. So time is required. There's overall conservatism. It's a monopoly, regulated monopoly infrastructure uh, type of industry. But uh, if we want to maximize utility adoption, the easiest would be be a services company. <laughs> provide some billable hours and you can provide immediate value to the utilities. Uh, or if you want to be more product-based, look for process automation type, be very specific on, on automating some scripts or whatnot, and th that will be very good too. But uh, it's going to be a fine balancing act if you want to start inserting more technical depth or differentiation, which will take time to prove out and justify as small young companies. And that requires capitalization, that requires maybe some labs for, for experiments, and, and time will tell. Um, but that's a, a, a very different play than services-based companies. So really, it's be, be know yourself very well. Um, what are you very good at? What are you passionate about? What's the big, hairy problem you want to solve? And make sure that you rally customer feedback and validation as well as investors around that uh, that problem to solve. Yeah, so just to add on a little bit to what Josh was saying, like utilities, they all have their own challenges. They all have their own problems. They all have their own way of thinking about the problem and what the solution should be. And so there's a risk in overbuilding for a certain utility and then not having something to give to somebody else. So you basically build a custom solution. Um, that's particularly challenging, I think, in the software space where people think software is easy. You just go write some code, you hire some people and it's done. And that's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not really reality. And so making sure like we, what we've really been really focused on is how do we build a solution for everybody? And, you know, so we cream off the best stuff from the ideas that the customers have and, and make them squint in order to see their original solution potentially. But we end up with something that um, can address many, many utilities problems as opposed to building that custom solution for one and getting locked in an innovation cycle with one utility that results in nothing good for anybody else. I would love to add, I would love to add on to Bill's point. I think that 
uh, that goes back to the business model side of things as well. How can how can we as companies create a business model which aligns with a utilities incentives and aligns with the way that they you know successfully uh, build their rate cases, things like that, but also uh, create a solution that is not a fully customized consultancy shop based solution. And so uh, we've seen that. At least from the data side of things, that it's about providing a core product and then providing the flexibility to integrate into different parts of that, different parts of that workflow, or to uh, build the services around the core offering in a way that it does, to your point, look uh, exactly how a utility needs it to look across the whole landscape. But underneath, it's really still the core same offerings that you're delivering to that end customer. And, and I love, I love what Kaylin just said, right? Because because it, it's probably the most underappreciated uh, barrier to entry and differentiation, which is the integration into utility uh, workflows and their data systems. Um, typically in, in startups, we always want next big science uh, um, uh, um, sort of breakthrough in order to build technical differentiation. But uh, for this industry, actually, just understanding the, the domain expertise and understanding how utilities operate and being able to understand what data systems are there, that in itself is a gigantic moat. So circling back on this, like, what are the what are the barriers? What's the adoption cycle look like? Thinking about, like, it's weird how utilities in, in many situations, at least in our space, are focused on in silos. There's silos in all the large utilities, right? The, the EV team doesn't talk to the thermostat team, doesn't talk to the water heater team, doesn't talk to the customer engagement team. And there's all this um, weird use case specific stuff that they do that's pretty siloed. And it ends up being like uh, a, a technology class that could address many of those uh, use cases it doesn't necessarily get adopted for the different use cases because they're on different innovation cycles. Like for us, right. Thermostats are in this relatively static area. Not really static. I don't want to say it that way, but it's an old technology, but now EVs are this hot technology that everybody's in all the innovation money's flowing to. They've got different budgets, but really from a technology company standpoint, there's almost no difference. They're just APIs to talk to and aggregate and control and it, and provide customer engagement with. So the understanding that innovation cycle inside utilities is also critical to um, understanding how to how to go after them. And that's what I wanted to explore a little bit is is that culture of innovation. Where is it in the industry right now? That's a very challenging question, and we should do a business school case study of it. The the, the, <laughs> the uh, politically correct answer is everybody's trying to innovate all the way from the board level to every single, like if you, if you talk to any utility right now, no utility will say, hey, we're not trying to innovate. Um, so I think the, the will and the desire is absolutely it. But um, I think do who is, who, who are those that are able to innovate? I think over the years is we don't really need to go to address just the innovation departments. I think there are innovation champions wherever you go. And I'm seeing a bit of an acceleration of that with um, with new hires, especially within utilities. Uh, the the average age is really lowering. The there's a lot more hiring from outside the industry that has gone through innovation transformations already. 
customers and regulators even are also pressuring utilities to change and move faster. So my, my personal belief is just dig deep and, and find the right change champions internally. I've seen them in planning, I've seen them in operations, absolutely in customer service, and of course in R&D and innovation teams, even in finance, right? So I, I think be, spend your time and really know your, your customer and audience well. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, I'd love to, to add on to that. I think the innovation team is, is that real guiding force for many utilities, figuring out which department may have raised their hand previously to say, you know, we, are, we need a solution for this problem. And ultimately, that's where you know, resources can be funneled a little bit faster or they serve as a great, great connection point. I did want to touch on, on uh, Bill's earlier point as well about, about IOUs, looking at the landscape of IOUs for evaluating new, uh, new technologies and new services. We see that so frequently the IOU in the region sets the standard of what's the next innovation to be explored, adopted, and scaled. And then many of the smaller unis and co-ops will follow suit uh, after that larger larger player in the space. At least from what we've seen, we do see that some of that's starting to change now, where many uh, unis and co-ops are taking on more responsibility of evaluating some of these innovative solutions. And uh, whether that's through more local-focused groups of co-ops or munis that are coming together to evaluate some of these newer solutions, or whether that's individual co-ops taking on more of that responsibility. But I think that's exciting to see, and that will continue to change the landscape of how newer technologies, one, are evaluated, but then two, how they can be adopted and scaled more efficiently. I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see many of these other smaller utilities take more of a, of a stance in being the first ones to evaluate innovation and then scale, uh, kind of scale these technologies to set a new standard. Yeah, I'd, I'd add on. Uh, I'm going to put two topics together here from what Caitlin said. Like the first is the innovation teams. Like which innovation teams have I seen personally that uh, drive the most change? It's ones with a budget. If the innovation team can actually do adoption and push technologies and actually do things, that's, I think, the most powerful kind of innovation team and the ones that, that, that can actually get, get stuff done as opposed to just the connector type of innovation teams. Um, and back to get the getting the stuff done side, the co-ops, what's awesome about the co-ops in particular is they just get stuff done. Like they have an in, they have an internal culture of moving and adding value to their customers and try, and going fast and, and doing stuff. So it, it's allowed us to do a lot of really cool stuff um, in, in pretty good size scale too. Um, yeah. So let's talk about money and then we'll have one last question. <laughs> So uh, feel welcome to share your own uh, rounds and, and what it's taken to get you or or just reflect more generally. Uh, I was talking to one of the major uh, small modular nuclear reactor companies yesterday, and they had they, they've put in one point four billion just to get to where they're at now. So so some of the solutions just need jaw dropping levels of capital to, to bring their uh, system uh, to the to the to the industry. But in general, how is the landscape for, for raising funds? Um, where do you think it's going to go uh, here in these coming years as far as innovative energy solutions companies being able to, to raise capital? And what does it take? What, what sort of capital does it take to, to bring? Obviously, it's a little bit different for a SaaS software company in these digitally enabled um, solutions versus actual hardware. But what does it take to bring grid innovation to scale by way of the funding that's out there? Bill, maybe you can start and then others can jump in. 
yeah, you know, it's SaaS businesses can be pretty capital efficient and, um, you know, hiring some developers, being a developer myself, you know, you're able to get stuff that um, works and can be put in utilities. Um, so that, that that's one thing. But customer adoption is, a, is potentially a different thing. And it seems like, uh, especially with the large investor on utilities, they, I think, my impression is that they use the size of funding rounds as a hedge against whether or not you're going to be alive in a few years, which is by and large, probably a good bet. Um, but it, it, it makes the capital efficient business, um, a little bit more challenging because you, you know, you raise a big round investors expect a lot from you, but we did follow. It sounds like, I don't know Josh's story so much, but we did follow that sort of strategy by and large. I I think the space is interesting because more capital does not necessarily correlate to faster success in this industry. And it is really an industry that requires a lot of patient capital. And so we've seen, you know, we've taken a similar approach to be a bit more conservative on the capital that we're raising and try and be more capital efficient to prove, prove the product market fit, to prove the value proposition, and then use that utility ecosystem of customer referrals to be able to generate more interest on the sales side of things. But really, we do see that the capital in the space is for uh, the patients needed and required to achieve some of this success, because it's one thing to demonstrate product market fit. But as we've definitely touched on here, the long term utility adoption cycle is one that does require um, a good amount of time. And so in order to keep the business alive, but what we've seen is I think we're seeing a very favorable uh, time in the market right now for investing in this particular space, investing in infrastructure, investing in energy efficiency and climate tech and things along those lines. It's uh, there's more and more money that's that's coming into this space, whether it's the government funding or it's you know venture or private equity. We are seeing that uh, it's becoming a more favorable time to start a business in in this particular sector. Yeah, I think raising money is like. Um making money to feed my family or to feed my shopaholic habits. Um, we all like to spend, but sometimes we need to make money as well. So how do we make money to, to, to invest into, into the company? Um, Opus one story as well. We fought, we were started in 2011. So we first self-funded and, uh, basically research funded the company. It wasn't until 2015, 2016 that we closed our A round. It's a small round. Um, I call it Canadian A, so which means it's a U.S. seed because uh, we always slightly smaller. Uh, then uh, 2018, we raised our Series B, which is uh, comparable to a USA uh, round. And then uh, 2021, we were doing our dual track to see um, Series C or uh, potential acquisition. We had multiple term sheets on the table, but ultimately we think it's time to not I wouldn't call it exit, but it's time to take it up a notch. And to take it up a notch is let's use ourselves as the change agents to really move this space because we have always been, I would say, mission-oriented. Um, so that's why we made the decision. So I think the nature of the business is we always need to raise. Uh, agree with Kaylin as well that it's not just not all money, not all capital is made equal, especially in this space. It's very, very hard to find like-minded investors that can truly be partners and i would say it's even harder or i'm assuming because i'm biased uh, but um i'm uh, but it's even harder to raise uh vc capital for a software company in the energy space because most of the uh, vcs that are used to investing in this space either like 
deep sciences like SMRs, like nuclear reactors, or they like uh, hardware where volume is everything, like create the next big box. But now if you want to bring in software companies that has a bit of an impact or a software agenda, they'll start applying software metrics and software timeframes, which can often be a bit disappointing in, um, in, in, for a lot of VCs in the energy space. So I found myself often saying that, hey, either the utilities don't move in power to death, or once they move, they, they, they give you a seven or eight figure project. So that's our game. That's the nature of the game. And so we need patient capital. But once this market flips, you get really, really big because the scale is absolutely there. And also the applicable addressable market is very uh, homogeneous. So how we address the grid in Toronto is similar enough to New York and Boston and, and San Francisco is similar enough to London or to Melbourne, Australia. So I think there's a lot we can apply that can scale fairly quickly. It's getting to that scale and having the right partner to scale with you. Great. So let's do our final question. And it can be a bit of a both of a recap and anything we haven't had a chance to cover yet. So what would you say is especially critical when it comes to navigating bringing an advanced grid modernization solution to market? I'll go back to something I said a minute ago. And um, you, you, have to, you have to make or save utilities money. If, if you don't do that, then the adoption cycle is just brutal. On my side, I'll say no one can do it alone. Um, Opus One could not have done it alone. G, even GE, we can't do it alone. So I, I really see increasing value in an ecosystem approach uh, where startups can work with incumbents, with utilities and regulators as well in joint partnership, because we are addressing an, an ecosystem here. And to put in a shout out, that's why I think forums such as Grid Forward can help in terms of bringing people together to solve big problems worth solving. I would say it's a matter of prioritization. I think that prioritizing the need for uh, new innovations in a way that we can see successful adoption of those, you know, one at a time clipping off successful innovation and deployment one by one will, uh, you know, have an even greater value. And that comes with a, a great amount of collaboration and working with multiple utility workflows and also partners of utilities as well. And so I'd like to see more of that as we're continuing to enter into this grid modernization space even further. Well, fantastic. Uh, you all are each charging the way and, and bringing some really exciting things to the system. So thanks for sharing your insights with our community today and look forward to collaborating with you all ahead. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Bryce. Thanks, Bryce. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats. If you're interested in Grid Forward membership and our work to accelerate grid modernization and energy innovation, including the backlog of our podcast, visit us at gridforward.org. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app.